0: This is Real Estate Rookie, episode 244.
1: If your partner is just bringing the capital, if all they're doing is bringing the capital and you are doing literally everything else, you're sourcing the deal, you're managing the the rehab or doing the work yourself, managing the tenants long-term, finding those tenants, maybe you deserve more than 50%, but it's all gonna depend on how much work is going into that deal.
0: My name is Ashley Kerr and I am here with my co-host, Tony Robinson.
1: And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie podcast, where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. And I want to start today's episode by shouting out someone who loved us a five star review on Apple podcasts. They go by the, by the username Real Ah States. <laughs> so I like the name. Uh, but they say thanks. Thank you guys so much for the info and for the inspiration. This is definitely the best and most engaging slash addictive podcast that has helped change my mindset and my path towards financial freedom. So we appreciate you username real ostates and if you haven't yet left us an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify please do. The more reviews we get, the more folks are able to help and helping people is our goal. So Ashley Kerr, I got to start by saying a very happy belated birthday to you. you. You, uh, you turned another year older and wiser this, uh, this past week and I hope you enjoyed yourself. I know you were a little under the weather, but hopefully you still got to enjoy yourself a little bit.
0: Yeah, I was. So I didn't really do much. Um, so I kind of stayed my celebration for the weekend. Oh, uh, we had a huge snowstorm hit Buffalo where, uh, You know, 10 minutes from me, they got 80 inches. We were kind of lucky. We didn't get quite that much. But there was the Bills game this weekend, which was supposed to be a home game. And that got pounded with snow. And there's just nowhere to put any of the snow to clear it out of the stadium or the parking lots for all the tailgaters. So I ended up uh, packing up my Wagoneer with seven people. And we drove out to Detroit Saturday, spent the night. And then Sunday went to the Bills game in Detroit where it was moved. And that was a lot of fun. Um, The best part about it, I think, is we got club seats for $30 each. When is that ever going to happen again? (laughs) So that was kind of considered my uh, birthday celebration, I guess. So that was fun. Something spontaneous. And if you guys follow me on Instagram and listen to the podcast for a while, you know that my why is so that I can be spontaneous. And I got to take my uh, middle child to his first Bills game. So he... Loved it. And it was just a, a great experience overall.
1: That's awesome. I'm glad you enjoyed yourself and I'm glad you're feeling better.
0: Thank you. And to Tony, happy anniversary. Your wedding <laughs> anniversary you. was yesterday. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's been, it's been crazy. Sarah and I have been dating uh, for 14 years. We've been, we've been married for two and it's just, it's crazy to think like now, like literally almost half of my life we've been together. So it's, it's been, it's been a great journey together. So we're, we're, we're grateful and we're excited for what's coming next.
0: I saw on her Instagram story that so for those of you that don't know, that want to do some digging one night when you can't sleep, Tony has a music video out on YouTube. And uh, so he, Sarah had told us before how she had gone and she would stand with Tony and pass out CDs. So this already shows you how much of a hustler Tony was, even at a young age when he was, a t- you know, a teenager, passing out his mixtapes. You know, and Sarah would go with him, and she showed a story and saying that all those years or those years of passing out tapes. Mixtapes paid off because she finally has a sugar daddy, and you know, showed the video of the store of Tony taking her out shopping. So I just thought that was so awesome. So cool.
1: Yeah, she she deserved every every minute of it. Hanging with me all my crazy ideas.
0: Yeah. Well, today we are going to be going over four rookie reply questions. The first one is going to talk about your reserves and how do you actually track your reserves? Should you just keep them in one bank account? Should you have separate bank accounts? The next question is about investing um, in a burr and estimating the rehab cost. So how, especially if you're investing out of state, you can't even be physically in the property, how are people figuring out how much a rehab will cost before they put in their offer? Our next question is talking about structuring a deal With partners. Uh, Tony and I always love the partnership questions. So um, we'll kind of go into what our thoughts are on partnership and putting 50% of the money from each partner into the deal. And then, lastly, it's about that time everybody should be meeting with their CPAs to do their tax planning, if you haven't already, and how to screen a CPA. So we go through some tactics and questions that you can actually ask somebody when you're trying to find a real estate specific.
2: Transform your lead generation and deal making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at DealMachine.com/BP. Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost.
0: Okay, Tony. Our first question today comes from Cameron Burnett. In regards to organizing and separating finances from rental units, i.e. vacancy expenses, capital X savings, and the money received from rent, do you guys recommend setting up a separate checking saving account for those things or what is the met- best method you have found? Also, in regards to repairs, do you use a separate credit card? Is that what you use for day to day? things? Okay, so the first thing I think of is it's going to be on what is going to work best for you. And I kind of put this in a personal finance perspective. If you have always been somebody that can easily save money, you're not racking up credit cards, you could have a lot of money in your bank account and you are not just going and spending it because you have it. Keep that money just in one checking account. There's no need to actually separate it. But if you are someone that has money in account and you have a very hard time not spending that money or thinking it's available and you need that out of sight, out of mind money, then go ahead and put that into a separate savings account. I have seen where people even put it into a separate account for vacancy, a separate checking account for capital expenditures, um, you know, maybe another one for um, repairs of maintenance, all these different savings accounts that they have. And you also see this very common in the personal finance community when people are budgeting, where, you know, maybe they'll have their Dave Ramsey envelopes where like, okay, this month, these are how much money I have to spend for each of these things. You could also do that for your properties. If you think that will give you a better overall picture of what your finances look for the property and help you kind of save and figure out what, you know, what you can take as cash flow for yourself by separating those things out. Or you can just simply create an Excel spreadsheet and say, okay, I have $5,000 in this bank account. $2,000 of that is something I'm saving for capital expenditures. 1000 of that is I'm saving in case there is a vacancy and the rest of that maybe is cash flow or your three to six months savings for your your mortgage in case it does become vacant. So I think it really depends on um, what will help you the best and which will help you stay more diligent and not spending that money.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think that last statement, Ashley, is perfect, right? It's about like, what is the system that works best for you? And am my- I personal finance life, I don't do this as much anymore. When I was working my, my W2 job, I had 24 separate checking accounts. So like when I got paid, my direct deposit would get dispersed between all these different accounts. It was like my, my car payments, my mortgage, um, my insurance costs, my groceries, my clothing expense. Like I had a different checking account for every major spending category. And for me, that was an easy way for me to uh, budget my money without having to put too much thought into it. Um, and even in our real estate business. We have not to that extent, but um, we have a separate account for taxes. Um, Every property has its own reserves account. Um, And then we use our operating expense account to cover things like vacancy, um, in the short-term rental space and any repairs and maintenance. So, um, I do like to separate it out just so that there is some, um, uh, you know, you know, not to touch that money. If you want to go buy like a new bed frame or, you know, you want to buy a new appliance or whatever it is, you know, that you be, you're not dipping into the money that needs to be set aside for, you know, something else. So, um, I, I do like the idea of separating, separating those things out.
0: In regards to that, don't be super strict on, Oh, you know what? I need money to buy a new HVAC, but I don't have enough in my capital expenditures account. Sometimes you will have to take money that you're saving for your rainy day fund or that you are saving for to cover vacancies, things like that. You will have to pull money. So if you do have the money all in one account... You know, you might have to use a large chunk of that for one thing, and then rebuild it with cash flow over the next couple of months. So even if it is separated, there may become a time where you have an expense or you need to cover a mortgage payment, where you'll need to draw from several of those accounts. So it's it's not what each individual thing is you're saving for. What matters is the amount or the total dollar amount that you have saving. That percentage that you're saving for in. We like to recommend three to six months, uh, definitely more towards the six-month side, especially as you're first getting started. And then as you're building your portfolio, you can kind of decrease that because you have built up this large chunk of money as your reserves that the chances of every single property needing a new roof most likely is not going to happen. Um, so just think about that too when you're, you're making your decision and also if, Who's keeping track of all this? Do you have time to actually track all these different individual accounts too?
1: So the the second part of that question is, do you use a separate credit card um, for for your day-to-day expenses? Um, So we do have like one general business credit card that we use for a lot of things, but then we we use the property-specific account to pay off that credit card. Um, so I'll usually go in like a couple times a week and say, okay, what are the new charges we built against the credit card? And then I'll, I'll say, okay, this is for this property, this is for that property, and then I'll make a payment to the credit card from each property specific account. So that's how we do it. And honestly, we don't have to do it that way. I just like to get the points. Um, and we spend so much with our our business that it, it would be crazy for us not to do that. Uh, but that that's, what, that's what's worked for us. What about you, Ash?
0: Yeah, I think the biggest thing is if you have the properties in an LLC or not, you want to make sure that your credit card is in the LLC um, and that you're making payments from the LLC account to pay off the credit card. But yeah, I agree with Tony with Taking those points, those sign-up bonuses have gotten me lots of <laughs> vacations, uh, for sure. So anything and everything I can pay with a credit card, I do, and I do keep it separate. And then I have it linked right to my QuickBooks. So my QuickBooks is pulling information from. Um, so you, right now I'm using Chase and Wells Fargo. It's pulling the statements and the charges from those accounts directly. And then also I can use snap right in my QuickBooks app, and I can. Scan take a picture of the receipt and we'll link right to that transaction. You can use this with Stessa too that we always recommend. So I think having that separate credit card is great just for bookkeeping purposes too. And then you're not having to go through and actually like separate, oh, okay, this was for a personal expense. This was for the business, This is for this property. And I also have different credit cards for different LLCs too, which kind of make it easier um, so that, you know, this charge I know is for a property in this LLC
1: I I love that last point, and that's something that we're like literally. I was telling Sarah, my wife, this the other day that we need to probably add a couple more credit cards because we have our uh, we have our flips, we have our short term rentals, we have our events. Like, there's so many different things we're spending on. Like, it it becomes a bit of a pain trying to pay everything off at the end of the month, um, which is why I usually go in there like honestly, like like once a week at least. Um, But the idea of having like a different credit card for like different parts of your business makes a ton of sense too.
0: Yeah, and there's like certain times where it comes up like, oh, I need to buy something at Lowe's for three different properties that are in different LLCs. So what we try to do then too, is even just do separate, like check out three different times. So it has those three different receipts instead of like, Oh, we need to go through this receipt and break it down, um, line by line. So that has kind of helped too. in the rare circumstances that happens. So Tony, with the business credit cards and the personal credit cards, they're, is a, a difference with them too. So when you get a personal credit card, it's going to show up on your personal credit report. So for example, I got a zero percent interest credit card a couple of years ago. Um actually opened it my husband's name to not, or my debt to income because he had nothing on his uh a credit at that time. And so I did it in his name and So it ended up like we did 0% so that we could do our rehab and put our things on that. Well, it reported that balance to the credit reporting agency. So it showed on his credit report that, you know, he had this balance on a credit card, even though it was 0% interest, like it does, he still owes that money. So it shows up on that. So that would, I think the minimum payment on that was $35. So it's not really killing his debt to income because of that low monthly payment. But still, that's something to be very cautious of, that if you are using a personal credit card, you're not paying it off if you're getting that 0%. And hopefully, if you have anything over a 0% credit card, you are paying it off every single month. But yeah, and so it's not, you know, kind of accruing and, and putting a balance on that on your debts income. But so there are credit card companies that have a limit. And this is why at the time I have been huge into travel hacking and so it's called like the Chase 5 where you can only open Chase or 5 Chase credit cards within a uh, 24 months I think it is so I had already reached that max getting these sign up bonuses to get us this great free vacation in Hawaii so I opened the other one in his name so like it's be care, be cautious of those things too, that doing in your personal name, there do become limits as to how many credit cards you can open into your name with certain companies. If you go on the business side and opening your LLC, I have a lot of people ask, should I open a business credit card just to establish credit for my LLC? First of all, I've never had anyone ask what my credit is for my LLC I've never run into a situation where that's been an issue. So I don't even know a circumstance where somebody would look up my LLC credit. I've been able to get a business credit card anytime I've opened a new LLC without even showing any income or anything yet. I'll put in like they'll ask what the annual income is and I'll put in projected based off of what the rent is coming in currently. Um, So with that, it usually does not report to your personal, um, credit report. There is one company that I can't think of it offhand, if it's chase or capital one, but one of them, if you have a business credit card, it will actually still report to your, um, personal credit showing that you have those accounts too. But, uh, so that's just something to kind of play the game with is if you want to go the business route or go the, the personal route.
1: Yeah, we, we do have a business credit card actually through Capital One, uh, but we very rarely use it just because the limit is so low. And honestly, the points aren't is good. Um, we have, a, a chase Sapphire reserve or preserve one of the, one of those chase Sapphire cards. And, um, I love that one and it's a personal card, but we only use it for business expenses. Right. Um, so we still kind of get the benefit of it being a business credit card, even though it's not. And then just like you said, actually, we pay it off. Like it never carries a balance from one month to the next. Like I'm, I'm literally going in like once a, once a week, probably and paying the balance down to zero. So, um, yeah. Anything else on that one?
0: No, I don't think so. Let's go on to our next question. So the next question is from John Mazzella. Hey, everyone. I am planning on doing a bur from a distance. I'm going to use a realtor to find the property and provide the ARV with comps. Remember, the ARV is the after repair value. My concern is how can I estimate rehab costs to know how much to offer on a house? I don't think it makes sense to drag the contractor around with me all day while I look at properties I might not buy. I'm very comfortable running the numbers, but missing the piece of estimating the rehabs. Any and all suggestions, welcome. Thank you. So Tony, when you're looking at flips, how are you estimating the rehab?
1: Yeah. So John, I mean, I can I can sympathize with your situation. So when I first started investing, I live in Southern California and I started investing in long-term rentals in Louisiana. And just like you, I was targeting properties that needed rehab and I was struggling with that same thing. Like, Oh my God, like, how do I get you know, how do I get these rehab estimates without me being there, without me knowing really what, what things cost. Um, so there's, there's a few things that I did. Okay. Um, first, I I found properties that represented what I wanted that property to look like after the rehab, right? So I found my own comps, to say, hey, once this, once this rehab is complete, here's kind of what I wanted to look like, and I found a few uh, contractor uh, contacts through my mostly through my agent and through my my bank. And uh, I said, hey, I'm looking at purchasing this property. Here are some photos of what I want it to look like post-rehab. Can you give me a ballpark of what this might cost? So that was one way of like showing them, hey, here are the before photos, here are the after photos. I just need a ballpark on what that might cost me. The second thing I did was I asked them to give me, I said, hey, for, for properties that are similar to this, for projects you've recently completed, what was the cost per square foot on those rehabs? Right, So now I have a ballpark number for this property, but with that cost per square foot, now I have something that I can apply to future projects as well. So if I find another uh, property and I know that it was whatever, how much per square foot, now I can go and apply that to this next property I'm looking at without needing to reach back out to that general contractor. And the third thing I did was I offered to pay them. I said, hey, here's one that I'm serious about. I'll pay you for your time if you just go and, and, and walk this and give me a bid. Now, honestly, um, I, I think I only ended up paying one of those contractors, but the majority of the properties I looked at, um, the contractor was willing to walk for free just because they wanted the work, right? Like they were willing to walk it just as part of their, of, as, as part of their bidding process. Um, so those are three steps that I took, right? So showing the, the photos of what I want the RV to look like and asking Ford for a ballpark, asking them for price per square foot on their, on their previous jobs that were similar to mine. And then the third was offering to pay them for their time to actually go out there and walk it for me. Give me a rehab estimate.
0: Yeah. I think you're seeing this is you haven't even put in an offer yet. So when you put in your offer, even if you don't have somebody come in and you know estimate the rehab for you yet and you're not sure, you can build in that inspection period, that due diligence period where you can go ahead and put it under contract and then you have the contractor walk through it and you can let them know, I have this property under contract. My intent is to purchase it and go through with it. I just wanted to know that it makes sense, and then, if the numbers don't make sense, you go back and renegotiate with the seller, showing them that you had somebody bid out the property and Tony made a great point about paying somebody offer them to pay them for their time to go and walk through the property and This also gives you more of a time period like our the market is definitely shifting where you're not having to you know do purchases from, you know, the minute they become listed, you're not having to make an offer. You're, there's more of a cushion period now so that you could, you know, have somebody walk through the property. But also if you do that, build that in that inspection, that due diligence period into your contract, you'll have more time to kind of coordinate with the contractor to get them into the property. So you're planning to invest long distance. You're not going to be at the property to really look at it. And I think finding um, somebody local to go through the property is going to even just be an advantage of itself to even if you're having to pay them just so that you get an idea yourself of what the property is looking like instead of just relying on, you know, photos off of the MLS or maybe you even do have a great real estate agent who's taking video for you, FaceTiming you through the property. Um, The last thing that I would do is this will be time consuming, but if you want to keep investing in this market and if you want to, you know, get a safe and sound investment, you want to do your research and do your homework. So you can also reach out to contractors and ask them, what do you charge to install a toilet? What is your price per square foot to paint a property? What is your price per square foot to install flooring? And you can kind of build yourself out a template, and this is what James Danard does. He gets prices from his contractors, and he uses this template to do his estimate. And then that's how he creates his offer based on these estimates of what his contractors have been charging him. And since you this is your you know first property or even if it's only maybe your second or third property, you still may not have a great idea of what rehab cost, but you can go through and you can look up, go to lowes.com, homedepot.com. Get an idea of, okay, this is the size of the kitchen. This is how much cabinets would cost for this. This is how much the price per square foot is for a decent uh, luxury vinyl plank flooring. And then you can kind of find out what it costs to install. I mean, even Lowe's and Home Depot, they do a ton of installation services where they're actually contracting with a lot of the local vendors to do their installs for them. So you can get an idea of how much that is just by going on their website or calling the pro service desk too at your local um, hardware store and asking them, you know, what is your current price right now to have carpet installed, have flooring installed, have cabinets installed? anything like that too. And you can kind of get an idea. I mean, you can get real nitty gritty and watch a YouTube video of how to install a toilet and you can see, okay, you need a wax ring. You need the toilet. You need the hose that you need, all these things that you need. And then you can say, okay, I'm going to go on Lowe's and I'm going to link each of these items into an Excel spreadsheet and build out kind of your material list. Okay. You're going to do tile. You need the tile. You need the grout. You need the, the mortar. You need the tile spacers, all these different things. And then you have this going forward. Um, so there's multiple ways of estimating the rehab, but give yourself that buffer. So James Nanard experienced flipper. I, mean, I done over 500, maybe, maybe even be a thousand homes. He still adds in, I think it's a 20% rehab buffer for his estimates for things that maybe change orders, things that you couldn't see until you ripped open the walls or for changing in material costs, things like that. So always, always add in that buffer, that percentage too. Before we move on to the, the next question, Tony, I want to hit on um, when we had on Salim too, in episode 241, he talked about, you know, mistakes he made with contractors too, because it's not only estimating the rehab, but you're learning how to deal and manage contractors. And sometimes the you know, the lowest price isn't always the best price so You're not, or the best quality and right. the, the, the best thing for your buck. Yeah, the best value. So if you go and listen to his episode, he'll tell you about a couple of mistakes he made. And that was episode 241.
3: You're trying to close on your next rental. So why is your insurance company dragging its feet? can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Rookies, 2024 is the year to start protecting your
1: rental properties with an LLC. But you don't have to do all the paperwork and filing yourself. head over to corporatedirect.com/biggerpockets to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist mention real estate rookie and get a $100 discount on your formation that's corporatedirect.com/biggerpockets
3: this show is sponsored by airbnb Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
0: Okay, our next question is from Jesse Unrath. How does everyone go about structuring a deal with a partner? Do you both put 50% of the money in for the down payment, even when one is doing the bookwork, brought the deal, etc.?
1: It's a, it's a loaded question, huh? And something that something I feel like comes up all the time. Um, it's, a, it's a great question, uh, Jesse, and I think Ash and I both are, are super passionate about partnerships because we both use them quite a bit and, and scaling our, our current portfolios. Um, first, I'll say is, is, is there's two types of partnerships. You have debt partnerships, you have equity partnerships. A debt partnership would be more so like a like a private money lender type situation where that person isn't retaining any equity in the deal, but they do have a guaranteed repayment of their money at some predetermined period of time. Um, but I, I think what most people think about when they think about partnerships and probably what you're leaning towards is an equity partnership, um, Jesse. And the, the first thing that we'll say, and actually I've said this a million times over, is that there is no right or wrong way... To, uh, to structure a, a partnership on the equity side. Some things to consider though, are who is doing like the, the hard work, right? Like who's bringing the labor? Um, you know, if you guys are buying a real estate deal, someone has to to source the deals. Someone maybe has to set up, you know, like transaction coordinating the closing process. Someone once you actually close, probably needs to manage that property on on a long term basis. Maybe if there's a rehab, someone needs to manage the rehab or actually do the rehab work. Like think about all the different things that need to be done to get this deal completed and ask yourself, is one person doing this? Are you guys sharing those responsibilities equally? Um, or is one person doing 75% the other person doing 25%? So I think the first thing to look at is the equity, like the sweat equity component, the, the labor component. Then the second piece, and this is what I think most people think about, is the capital side. Um, who's bringing the money for the down payments and the closing costs? Um, if there are any rehab costs, who's, who's covering the rehab? Um I will say that I think most people overvalue the capital, especially newer investors. They overvalue the capital, um, meaning that just because someone's bringing the capital doesn't mean that they deserve eighty percent of the deal, right? Or maybe even fifty percent, depending on what that deal looks like. So I think ultimately, Jesse, you and your partner have to sit down and think about what is the the you know the the structure that you guys are most happy with. But what I can say is that if your partner is just bringing the capital, if all they're doing is bringing the capital, and you are doing literally everything else. You're sourcing the deal, you're managing the the rehab or doing the work yourself, managing the tenants long-term, finding those tenants. Maybe you deserve more than 50%, but it's all going to depend on how much work is going into that deal.
0: And I think an important part too is if this is your first deal partnering together, make sure that you are not um in a situation where it's going to be every deal going forward. So date this person first, try out this deal, try out this deal structure. Just because you set in stone this one deal structure for this one property doesn't mean going forward for the rest of your guy's life every deal you do together needs to be that same structure. So think about that too. I love putting kind of a cost or a dollar amount or the activities or the job responsibilities that you're doing for the business too. So making out a list, you said one of them is going to be doing the bookwork. Okay, put a dollar amount to that and maybe they get paid a hundred dollars per month or twenty-five dollars per month, whatever that is to do the bookwork, so that when you do eventually decide, like, you know what, I don't want to do the bookwork anymore. I wanna outsource this. Well, that's not fair because we're both 50-50 owners and I'm still doing all the maintenance, but now you're not doing the book work or the leasing and you're still getting half the cash flow. So putting that dollar amount to the jobs and responsibilities and getting paid for those, so taking an owner's draw for those things that you're doing, then splitting the cash flow after that. So the, as you're, in your question, you put, do you both put 50% of the money in for the down payment That also will depend on how you are purchasing the deal. If you are doing it in your personal names or one personal name, or if you're doing it with an LLC, because if you're putting it into your personal name, the bank is going to require you to show that you have brought all the funds yourself or they were gifted from a family member. So think about that too, is how are you actually purchasing the property too? And then, if you're doing it into an LLC, it's a lot easy to easier to gather money from wherever to put it into the actual property into the deal.
1: And just the last thing I'll, I'll say on that point, too is like even if like even if one person brings all the capital, there are different ways to to repay that person as well. right like you could set it up so that person maybe gets a a certain percentage of the cash flow every month before you guys split it. Um, Somebody's like, hey, the first 10% of all the cash flow goes to partner A for bringing all the capital, then the remaining 90 per split, 90% we split down the middle. Um, or it could be a, a fixed dollar amount every month to say, hey, partner A gets back you know $100 per month every single month until they're repaid what they what they brought to the table, regardless of how much profit is generated. Right? Um, or maybe there's no profit um, that gets paid out and it's just when you guys sell the property, right? So that's called like a capital recapture. So you say, hey, when you guys go to sell the property, you guys agree to split everything 50-50, but partner A gets paid back first, right? So say so you go to sell the house and there's a hundred thousand dollars in equity, but partner A put up twenty-five thousand dollars to purchase that property, that means partner A gets their 25 k back first. And then the remaining $75,000 could split 50-50 between the two of you guys. Um, So there are different ways to even structure paying that capital partner back um, outside of just like, hey, you get all of the equity in this property.
0: Okay, so our last question today is from Derek Moore. And remember, you guys, if you want to ask a question, you can leave a question in the Real Estate Rookie Facebook group and we may pull it to be um, played onto the show where we answer it for you. So make sure you are a member of the Real Estate Rookie Facebook group. Okay. So Derek's question is, how do you all screen a CPA and determine whether or not they are familiar with real estate investment taxes? Every CPA I've spoken with says, yes, I know tax strategies for real estate. Any good screening questions you all can recommend. Anything I should be on the lookout as a red flag. Lastly, anyone in the Tampa, Florida area know of a good CPA. So love for you guys to, if you're watching this on YouTube, to comment into the YouTube video in the comments below and let us know if you have a good recommendation of a CPA in Tampa. But I think what the cool thing is, is that it's very easy to find a great CPA that can be virtual. They don't have to be in your location. There's really no need to have a CPA that is, um, located, in your market or near you, they just you just have to make sure they have a knowledge of your state tax prep. Um, so that's kind of the only thing. As far as screening a CPA, and actually I was on the real estate rookie boot camp call last night and we were talking about this too with Tyler Madden and our recommendation that we gave when you're you know trying to find a good CPA is reading the two tax books that Booger Pockets has by Amanda Hahn. So it's tax strategies for the savvy real estate investors, one, and then the other one is more advanced strategies. Reading those, those books and taking some notes of those tax strategies and then using your knowledge, your basic knowledge, no reason to go in-depth to ask your CPA about those tax strategies so I think a very common one is obtaining real estate professional status, even if that's something you don't need or you don't even want. Asking if your CPA even knows what that is, um, and you can even put in a question about it. Like, given my situation, do you what would I have to do to you know qualify for real estate uh, to be a real estate tax professional? Right, is that Right, I think it's just professional. Yeah. It's just professional (laughs) as I said that. Yeah. So a real estate to qualify as a real estate professional. Um, and then there's other things in there. You know, you can ask them a question about 1031 exchange, things like that. So I think giving yourself basic knowledge by reading one of those books can give you enough to kind of build, um, a questionnaire and make sure the question is tailored. So it's not a yes or no question. So here's an exa- example. And this is actually a question I feel like Tony and Tony and I have gotten a couple times recently is I own a property with another investor and we want to do a 1031 exchange. Can we keep the property in, um, or can I just buy the new property and my partner just cash out and not have to be a part of the 1031 exchange? So asking different questions like that and seeing how knowledgeable they actually are.
1: Yeah, it's a, those are those are great qu- questions to ask, Ashley. I think the the only other thing I would ask too is don't just ask them like, hey, are you familiar with real estate investments? Uh, like t- the tax strategy, say like how many real estate investments do you own? And if they've only got like one or two, mm-hmm. Maybe not the not the best person, right? Or maybe ask them how many you know of your you know current x number of clients, what percentage are full time real estate investors? And if it's a really low percentage, like uh, maybe like one percent, the other ninety percent are you know doctors and lawyers and cops or whatever it is, right? Then maybe that's not the right person for you. But I want to see for my, you know, tax strategist for my CPA is someone who has a heavy concentration in real estate investments, right? Either because they own a lot themselves or because the majority of their clients are real estate investors also. So I really do think that spending time in places like the the Bigger Pockets Forums or the Real Estate Rookie Facebook group and asking for recommendations from other investors is probably, Derek, your, your best bet of finding a good, solid CPA that understands real estate investing and its tax implications.
0: Well, you guys, thank you so much for joining us for this week's Rookie Reply. Keep the awesome questions coming. You can leave your questions on the Real Estate Rookie YouTube channel. You can also leave them in the Real Estate Rookie Facebook group or send a DM to Tony or I, and we may choose them to be played onto the show. You can also always leave us a voicemail at 1-888-5-ROOKIE. Thank you guys so much for joining us, and we will be back on Wednesday with a guest.